one. Kia ora, good morning and welcome to A Yarn Live. I'm your host, Ryan the Lion, and our special guest today is Ernie Newman. And the subject is what's on everybody's lips, the price of food and what's happening in the food market. Uh, we've just had the uh, Commerce Commission release their paper, and we're going to hear all about this in depth today from Ernie, Ernie Newman, who's got a background in, in this situation from the telco industry. So there'll be a lot of comparisons that we can draw on, a lot of experience that we can draw on. But first of all, Ernie, if we could ask you kindly, and thank you for being with us this morning, if we could ask you kindly to introduce yourself, AFQY Styles. So that's about your background and also about you as a person, if you could let us know. Yeah, good morning. Thanks, Ryan. Good morning, and um, thanks for, uh, for having me on here. Yeah, well, I'm a, um, um, a semi-retired consultant. I, um, I live in the Waikato in Cambridge, um, and um, my involvement in this thing um, stems back, as you said, um, to my days in the telecommunications industry from 1999 till about um, 2010. And um, in those days, there was only, um, the beginning of that time, there was only one story in telecommunications, and that was the total monopoly of uh, Telecom New Zealand, um, other than a company called Bell South, which was just making a very timid um, entry into the mobile market. And um, uh, Telecom, of course, was the residue of the old um, state-owned post office. Um, and it was by every possible measure making super profits. Uh, we had some of the most um, the most expensive telecommunications services in the OECD. The only one that came anywhere near us uh, was Mexico, uh, where the phone company was owned by the Prime Minister at the time. Um, so we were 23rd out of 23. And so there was a huge job to be done to, in effect, um, cut telecom down to size, break it up, get some competition into the market. And we had a wonderful run at that over a very long period uh, with some very tough battles and... Um, uh, we are now one of the most competitive in the OECD with lots of choice. So um, about um, a year or two ago, when the grocery industry was um, uh, starting to hot up and people were starting to get concerned about competition issues here, um, I um, was contacted by the, um, the Food and Grocery Council because way back, 40 years ago, believe it or not, I actually was um, executive director of the Grocery Manufacturers Association, which was the predecessor of that group. So I kind of, as somebody put it, had a view from both mountaintops. I um, had been close to the, the politics of the grocery industry uh, 40 years ago, and then a very parallel situation with telecommunications um, 30 years later. So I did a little bit of consulting for the Food and Grocery Council, and from there on in have carried on kind of being a, a sort of an impact player in the debate, if you like, and... Um, uh, taking a view on things. I've put submissions into the Communist Commission. Um, and um, and here I am, you know, um, still sort of doing a bit of consulting and um, taking a keen interest in that particular project. Wow. So, so people talk about life going in cycles. Um, you know, yeah, we've all probably got stories of uh, fashion going in cycles. I'm mm. not sure when the um, big shoulder pads of the 80s will come back. But so you started in the food industry, then went to telco and was part of that, the uh, regulation. And obviously, you know, going from 23rd or last uh, to second, first or second, that's a massive difference. And I think, um, you know, I'll tell a quick little story. I came home from my OE and um, went back to mum and dad's and um, took over their only mobile phone because they weren't really users. But I come from London where everyone lived on their mobile phone and, and you know, 2000, yeah. 2002, like we do today. 
and they had five carriers. We only had two then. So I took the phone and the next month the bill came in for $1,300 and dad did his nana to put it in the best. Uh, <laughs> what the hell is $1,300 on the, yeah. what are you been bloody doing? It's like, I've just been using it like I would. Like, what does it cost to use a cell phone in New Zealand? So mum said, that's all right. We'll get dad his one, you, your one, and I'll have one. And then, you know, we've all got our own one and responsible. So dad had his for his um, for the first month during rugby season and he got his Highlanders faceplate and put it on his Nokia 910 and he went down to the rugby game and he saw his mate on the other side of the field so he called his mate and he went to three games that weekend and three games every weekend and walked around talking to his mates on his cell phone while he's watching the game and talking about the plays and guess what his bill was <laughs> yeah, yeah. he popped over 2000 um so the the joke was on him but that just gives people an idea can anyone remember having a two thousand dollar phone bill this oh, would have been, been pre-regulation, yeah. right? You know, now, yeah. In my time in two hands, I heard many, many horror stories, you know, particularly about what they call international roaming charges. And, um, you know, there were numerous regular uh, examples of people who'd come back um, from an overseas trip having used their phone overseas and um, had a roaming bill that was substantially more than their airfares. Um, the highest one I ever uh, encountered uh, or heard of personally uh, it was about 49 grand New Zealand uh, for somebody who went overseas for a month and um, watched video clips a lot of the time. Um, my Australian counterpart had one that was closer to 80,000, um, and it was a total rip-off, and that was just one of many issues um, that you had in the um, in those very, very uncompetitive days of telecommunications. Yeah. Well, we were just talking earlier um, about uh, the, the rest of the, today's article written by Chris Keel, who I used to work with. He's an editor, and I was advertising sales uh, when I was at Computer World, uh, with Paul Brislin, who's um, in the um, telecommunication carriers forum. Yeah. Uh, and I think Paul was the editor of Computer World at the time because he was always writing about, about Vodafone and their billing. And there was a seven, I'm pretty sure it was a $79,000 um, bill shock for a guy that had gone overseas. And that was, I remember that article, or that, that, I remember that price for some reason. So you're talking about the 80,000. I think it might be the same one. But yeah, it was just astronomical. But hey, look, we've got a pretty good um, shape of um, the telco industry. And as a good comparison, we've got some stats there in terms of my dad's phone bill, these um, roaming bill shocks. So now let's look at the current day problem, the one that we're here to discuss, which is the, the food industry. Can you give us an overview? Can you shape it up? And, and please take into account some people will have read a lot about the situation. Some people might have just seen some snippets of the news. Can you give us a, a bit of a ground up appreciation for what's happening in the food industry right now? Yep. Right. Well, this all started, um, oh, I guess, two or three years ago um, when um, most of the impetus, interestingly, came from the suppliers, the um, the hundreds of companies who supply the stuff that we um, we buy at the supermarket uh, through the Food and Grocery Council. And um, they were increasingly concerned at the imbalance of power between um, them as suppliers of everything from baked beans through to, um, um, you know, kitchen spray and wipe and produce and whatever. Um, and the imbalance of power between them and the, um, the supermarkets when they um, uh, were selling their goods to them. Um, and, you know, it wasn't commonly recognised by consumers in those days that we actually only have two supermarket chains, Woolworths Australia and Foodstuffs. So all the different banner groups that we see um, are actually um, accountable to two different people. 
Um, so Woolworths has a fresh choice pack and say, sorry, fresh, fresh choice countdown. Um, Foodstuffs says New World pack and save, um, Super Value, and a few other minor brands. Um, but at the end of the day, there are just two people uh, making the big calls on this sort of thing. So, you know, if you are a small supplier and you upset um, one of those people, that's half your business gone overnight. If you upset them both, then you're dead in the water. Um, and the same applies at the consumer end because those same two people are deciding uh, what those products will sell for. And there's not necessarily a very close relationship between what they're bought for from the supplier and what they're sold for um, off the shelf. So the, um, the suppliers were actually the ones who started the momentum towards this and have gathered a head of steam and over a period of time, um, consumers have come to realise um, that this is not the competitive industry that it appears on the surface, it's actually an ugly duopoly. Um, and that's of course been exacerbated in, um, in recent times by COVID and the, um, um, the um, rash of price increases um, which is not necessarily all related to that, but, um, you know, it's part of the same thing. So anyway, um, the Communist Commission got on the case um, and at the behest of the government uh, ran an, an inquiry, a market study, as they call it, uh, into supermarkets. And over a period of 18 months, two years, uh, came out with a final report and set of recommendations to the government um, as to the action to take. Um, but one thing that has been a really important outcome of all that has been that the facade of competition um, has been um, taken away and I think people now realize that this is not a healthy market it's a duopoly um, and you know all the market theory is that um, the, the, ma the magic number where you get competition Ryan is three and we saw that in telecommunications in the mobile phone market you know we had telecom and Vodafone for a very long time and they just matched each other's pricing largely um, and kept the pricing right at the top end with a whole lot of, you know, really anti-consumer uh, devices in there because they just watched each other and that obviously both worked out that it was better for them to retain their roughly 50-50 market share um, rather than fight each other aggressively to switch to 45-55 or whatever. So the prices just stayed up there. It's when you get a third entrant into the market, which we saw with two degrees, um, that all of a sudden that changes because you can no longer get that um, kind of passive collusion um, that you do with two. Um, three is the magic number. So um, that, I think, is um, um, is the missing link here. Um, and, you know, the warehouse tried to get into groceries on a, on a large scale, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um, it's couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, uh, and that would have that would have been the saviour for New Zealand had it worked. Um, but that's the issue that um, we have a duopoly. Um, it's almost um, um, impossible to break. Um, it has used all sorts of devices to maintain that duopolistic position. For example, um, um, you know, land covenants are a wonderful one that people are starting to understand now that none of us had heard of a year ago. You know, so. Um, if you open a new supermarket, you in a, in a shopping centre, for example, you sign up a um, um, a covenant decades long that says that um, um, that shopping centre owner will never allow another supermarket or a butcher shop or a um, um, a fruit and vegetable shop or whatever in that supermarket, and therefore you retain a total 
monopoly over that particular site. Um, and like as in, you, yeah. you sign, let's say, Woolworths or Countdown or, or New World, and you yeah. sign a 15-year covenant that you won't allow yeah. it to become one of the other competitors. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, the owner's yeah. locked in to 15 years. Yeah. That was that, mate. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and it's not only in shopping centres, but uh, there are hundreds of examples around the place where um, uh, blocks of land have had covenants placed on them so that a new supermarket um, can't be established there. You know, where I live in Cambridge, there are um, there are sites where there could, in theory, be a, um, um, a, a competing oh, okay. supermarket come in. But, you know, it just Can doesn't you, happen. Let me understand this a little bit better. So you, I thought you were talking about, say, say I go and buy a block of land and, and put a supermarket on it and I build on it. Yep. I sign up with, let's just use uh, New World. I, I sign up with New World. I thought you were saying that, that that block of land there can only be New World for 15 years. Um, I can't go and re-sign and swap over in a year's time to, say, Countdown. But no. you're talking about a block of land as in, like, you know, suburbs. What's the, what is the what no. is the block of land that you're referencing? Is that no. just the site it's that the supermarket's on? or All of the above. So whether it's, whether it's, um, um, shops were competing shops within the same mall, or whether it is a block of land that happens to be available somewhere that could be used for a supermarket, um, that the existing supermarket down the road has um, taken an interest in and slapped a covenant on so that the, the competing chain cannot get hold of it, um, you know, is um, there's all kinds of permutations of this. But the Commerce Commission, when they started delving into this, found around 200 covenants of that kind. And, you know, they're there for, for no reason other than to stop a competitor coming into the market. So I'm, I'm still sort of can't believe what I'm hearing in the sense that someone can go and put a, a covenant, which I assume is a legal thing, obviously a legal yeah. thing, that stops someone starting, starting a business. Oh, or, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, a good parallel is um, in the residential housing, for example, you know, sometimes... Um, you might sell a block of land, but you might put a covenant on it um, to say that um, you can't have anything other than a single-story house on it in perpetuity, um, or that um, so you know so that you can't be built out. Um, there are lots of examples of that kind, or you know, developers will frequently put covenants on to say that um, you know this is going to be a, an upmarket snobby subdivision, so um, every house has to be at least uh, two million bucks. Um, it's the same concept. It's putting a constraint on what can happen yeah. to that land in order to protect the, someone else's private interest, which in this case is the owner of the competing supermarket down the road. Yeah. So that's, that's only one of the tricks. Yeah. So um, just quickly, if, if I have a big block of land and I subdivide and I want to make you know 20 houses all of you know equal sort of um, on it and make a, I can kind of understand that, but. For someone to walk along and go, let's just let's just put a covenant on that piece of land so that no one else can build uh, competitive business near us, and let's let's block out all the land. I mean, that's that's I'll use the term I think is correct as anti-competitive behaviour, and it's allowed. Like, uh, yeah, it's mind blowing to think that this is possible. I might have the wrong end of the stick, but it does seem well, like you know people have got the freedom to go. I'll just stop in on having a shop within Kiwi. Yeah. It, okay. it is not illegal. It has not been illegal up until now, um, but it has also not been very visible up until now. 
And what the Commerce Commission yep. has done is, is um, unearthed the scale of the problem and um, drawn attention to the anti-competitive outcome that that has to the detriment of consumers. So if you were one of the two big companies um, that's continuing to make money, you're one of the two big companies got, that's got the money to afford to go and put covenants everywhere yeah. um, or have a team of people that do it. That's their job, you know. Yeah. That's one of the, the things when any sort of, in any industry, when organisations get to that scale, they have the, um, the, the deep pockets to be able to spend Lots money on of doing lawyers. Lots of lawyers, Ryan. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what is the, um, what do you think is the Commerce Commission, uh, what do you think of the Commerce Commission's report? You know, I think there was a lot of expectation um, or, or chatter that there was uh, going to be some sort of split. Uh, Matthew Turkaki was talking about um, the iwi um, buyout of, uh, it should be some sort of iwi buyout of uh, part of the, one of the chains, um, some breakup, et cetera. What, what, were, what were you expecting and, and what happened? Well, I was more disappointed than the other, but um, not completely. Um, I think, uh, you know, the Commission, uh, in a way, set itself up because in its draft report um, last year, it flagged the idea of, a, of an enforced breakup, <coughs> no, forcing, um, uh, legally forcing each of the um, incumbent operators to, um, to sell off, a, you know, a few hundred of their stores to a new entrant. Um, and so because they put that as a possibility in the in their draft report, it did create expectations which they haven't uh, followed too long. Um, now, what they have done is they have said um, that there will be a regulator, a, a supermarkets commissioner in the Commerce Commission, a bit like the Telecommunications Commissioner, which we've had now for 20-odd um, for years, um, who will keep a very close eye on the industry and monitor it in all sorts of ways to... Um, make sure the consumer's interests are being protected. Um, there will be a code of practice um, in terms of what is fair practice, what is not. There will be some advertising standards around the way in which they advertise their prices, um, you know, all the different loyalty schemes and specials upon specials and, you know, um, permanent fixed prices and low prices and whatever. So there'll be some constraint on that. Um, and, um, um, you know, all to, altogether, that I'd give them probably a seven or eight out of ten from the suppliers' point of view, because I think the life of the grocery suppliers uh, will be eased by what the commission is doing. What it won't do immediately is do anything. Is do a lot for consumers. There will be some price monitoring, um, and um, but there will not be any great power in the commission. Um, so I guess the the biggest hope that the consumers have got is twofold. In the short term, the fact that the industry is being monitored by a regulator all the time um, should put some kind of constraint on, on really anti-competitive behaviour. Um, in the long term, um, there will be a review of this whole situation after three years. And I think you'll find that if in three years the, um, um, the behaviours haven't changed, then I think that's the moment at which the axe will fall. So a lot is going to depend on um, just how the supermarket chains react to the fact that they are now under the microscope in a way that they probably never would have dreamed of a year or two ago. So if I'm reading between the lines here, the Commerce Commission have said, sort your shit out or you'll force us to, but they haven't come in like they said they were going to in the draft report and look at a separation. So does that 
does that sort of um, indicate that between the draft and the final um, that the the minds were changed or there was information that, um, you know, what is it saying? As so too, yeah. as information, my conclusions, as information changes, so too do my conclusions. Mm. You know, what, what do you think happened with changing tack there from the yeah. draft? Yeah, that gets you into the realm of speculation. Um, you know, I mean, it could be. Well, I'll speculate. Uh, I mean, you summed it up really well in about 10 words there when you said, you know, sort your ship out. Uh, the commission basically took, I think it was 619 pages to kind of say that um, in their report. But, um, you know, what happened? Um, well, maybe there was, maybe the politicians were behind the scenes and saying, look, you know, um, this is going to be a hell of a legal battle if, um, if we go in here to, um, to break these two companies up. You know, one of them's an Australian-owned um, um, substantial grocery um, industry participant. That's Woolworths Australia, who've got um, um, the, um, the Countdown and uh, Fresh Choice brands. The other one is this um, very opaque thing called foodstuffs, um, which is a wholesaler, a retailer, a property owner, a building owner, a marketer. It's all sorts of things. Um, and it sort of kind of likes to present itself as, you know, local people owning local stores. But, um, you know, their, um, their finances are very, very difficult to, um, to understand. So it may well be that the commission decided that the breakup was just too hard. Um, and, um, you know, there would have been lawyers tied can up. I, for can I jump in right there? Yeah. The commission decided it was too hard. And I'll add into this that it's a three-year wait before anything else happens. Three years is a long time for people not to be able to afford food. That's I totally agree more. I absolutely agree more with that. Um, let's be fair, though, and recognise that not all of the problem of people not being able to afford food is because we have a supermarket duopoly. Um, a little bit of it is COVID. A lot of it is about social inequality. Um, you know, it's um, it's a lot bigger than just the supermarket duopoly. Um, so we, we need to keep that in, in perspective. Um, the thing is, though, that they've effectively put the supermarkets on a good behaviour bond. Um, you know, they are going to be so much aware that they can't move uh, without that, um, that commissioner um, watching their every step. Um, and so I think you might find some more consumer-friendly behaviour. I think we, we will see it, particularly as in their marketing. You know, all the specialing and so forth has become so confusing that, you know, Ryan, you and I can probably stand there in the supermarket aisle and work out which of two products is the better value um, per, you know, 250 grams. But for a lot of people, that's really hard. And when you get... Um, um, Pro, um, products that are that vary in price from week to week. I mean, I, for example, I um, I like to keep a, a pack of um, fresh up fruit juice in the fridge, and when I um, wake up in the middle of the night, I come out and take a slurp at it because I tend to have a dry throat, you know. So I'm very conscious of the price of that particular item. Now, um, the um, probably 80% of the time, at one supermarket or other, I can get that for about a dollar forty or a dollar fifty a box. When it's not on special, it's nudging three bucks. Now, because I have price awareness on that particular product, I'm choosy about it. But the other 999 products that um, um, that I'm routinely buying, there's no way I can keep those in the head, you know. So yeah. for somebody who's, let's say, a low-income family 
and perhaps doesn't have a lot of um, arithmetic ability to do sums in their head as they're you know, wandering through among the, um, the dishwash detergents, it's really, really hard. Um, you tend to assume that because you bought that packet of juice the last three times at $1.49, that um, you can afford it. And then you suddenly find next time you go in, it's doubled in price. So people yeah. get ripped off. You know, the, the special price effectively becomes the norm. Um, and on the odd occasion that you buy it at full price, you're being ripped off big time. So there's lots of examples like that in the way in which they're marketing, which are very, very confusing and advantageous. You know, the, um, I really pity the people who, uh, who have low um, arithmetic literacy and low budgets. So I, I can't do sums in my head. I have to use a calculator. And I'm, I'm very fortunate in the sense my wife um, it might, might sound a little bit um, you know, stereotypical, but my wife does the shopping. Um, and she does, she actually, she's she has worked out a whole lot of things. Um, but very one simple thing was very early on with the lockdown, um, with the um, release of new shopping dates, for online shopping it was at 12 o'clock at night so she would sit there with her order just like you're buying concert tickets and go um to get it uh, but because she's had um, major surgery so brain surgery uh, she was able to get on and that's partly why she does the shopping because she doesn't work um can't uh, but she does her shopping and does our, our cooking and all the rest of it and, and really enjoys this, um, doing that sort of stuff so um she she worked it out but she'll I said to her one time, where are the blueberries? Why haven't you got any blueberries? And she said, well, they're $12.99 a punnet at the moment. I was like, what? Did you say 12? It was $2.99. I thought two nine. you know, we went up to when we got up to $2.99. I thought that was expensive. Are you sure you don't have a, you know, brain, you know, from your brain surgery, you didn't misread that? And she's like, no. And it was at one point $12.99. Now I've got no idea whether it was seasonal or whatever might have affected it, or the whole crop got wiped out because of some storm. Or if it just was really, really high pricing, but it may, you know, stop me in my tracks. And this is to your point, like then you start going, oh, what is actually normal pricing? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is, but as you go through the super, if you're shopping back in the, the old days when I'd go through and do the shopping and you pay, take stuff off the shelf and put it in because you go, need the bread, need the milk, have the bacon, the eggs, the cereal, <clears> you, know, <throat> you don't necessarily, oh, well, you sort of would, but not, not 100%. There'd be certain items that you look at the price and go, I'll get that bacon because it's a bit cheaper. But um, most of the stuff, it was you got the same stuff every time. You don't really look at the price because it was kind of, it just rolled on each time, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, the price fluctuations. Yeah. In, in, yeah. in telecommunications, when uh, when uh, Teresa Gatting was the boss of telecom, um, she once made a comment that I'm sure she lived to regret in front of a conference and said um, something to the effect of, um, Let's face it, in telecommunications, we use confusion as a marketing tool. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, that's exactly what's happening in grocery, except they've mastered it far better than the telecommunications people ever did. You know, um, and there was a very interesting moment. The Commerce Commission ran um, many hours of online video conferences, a bit like this, on um, uh, when it was doing its report. And there was a guy from an organisation uh, that represented the, um, uh, the very low-paid, you know, real struggling families, he was talking about this and how really impossible it is um, for his constituents to work out when they're in the aisle what to buy and what's you know what's a good what's good value and what's not. 
Um, and um, the next person to speak was a guy from um, Countdown who said, um, oh, that's not the feedback we get. Um, he said, our feedback tells us that our customers are surprised, excited, and delighted when they find a product on special. Now, you know, if that's not an example of two people talking past each other, I don't know what is. But, um, you know, you come back to the fact that the, the products that these guys are selling are necessities of human life. Um, you know, when the um, um, when the telecommunication industry was screwed up, um, you and I uh, were robbed in the price of our telecommunications. We can always use the in um, uh, in the supermarket industry when things go wrong like this, kids starve, um, and so we can't let this go on in the way it is. Well, look at um, Dave Latelli and BBM as an example, and I know they're not the only one, but they they you talk about visibility. He is very visible, um, and you know, got to add in, and this is part of this is part of the um, question. You know, part of the question is that um, foodstuffs and Chris Quinn are very supportive and supply them with a lot of food for their food bank, and possibly, I'll say, possibly, probably others. So this is when you get into that. Um, on one hand, groceries are bloody expensive, oh, but the grocery companies are supplying the likes of BBM and other places with a, a lot of food um, free for their for their food. So that's kind of good. Oh, are they good or are they bad? Um, and I think you've talked about the fact that there's uh, all these different factors that come into it. And that's, I think that's another important one to, to recognise. But, yeah, talking about people starving, and, of course, this is also related to COVID and not being able to earn money. Um, but the food banks have been absolutely smashed um, and it supposedly doesn't look to change. But we're just coming up on the end of the show, so I wanted to um, sort of bring it, bring it, give you the opportunity to have a little think about closing remarks. And if I could ask you to think about um, if this is where we are now, where have we got to go? What's got to happen? You know, you've talked about um, the, the situation where we're at, a whole range of different um, aspects within it. And the ComCom report regarding the fact that they've got a three-year window to sort themselves out and that they're basically on watch. So what have we got to watch for over the next six months, the next three years? If you could share your um, final comments for everyone, that'd be much appreciated, Ernie. Yeah, well, the next three years are a kind of probationary period for the um, for the supermarkets. Um, again, coming back to Teresa Gatting, um, she made a wonderful comment after they were finally brought to heel by the Commerce Commission and said... Um, this is the start of our new way of life, um, and it was. Now, the supermarkets, I think, could either have the start of their new way of life in three years' time when that next review comes out, or they can start it now. Now, you mentioned um, Chris Quinn, uh, Ryan. He's a really nice guy. I remember him from telecommunications, as you do, and it's interesting yeah. that he's popped up again in the same. Um, I know. But, um, yeah. Um, but, look, you know, if foodstuffs are the key to this, um, if um, if he takes this to heart and decides to um, re-engineer his business a little to make it more open, um, easier to understand, um, you know, I think we will get the benefits a lot sooner than if they um, um, knuckle down and decide they're going to fend off regulation and, um, and breakups for as long as they can. Interesting to see just the last couple of days, the warehouse, um, stating again that it might now be interested in coming back into the market. Um, if they did to be, if they did that now, it'd be a really interesting test because last time they tried, Woolworths and Foodstuffs both went and um, uh, and bought substantial parcels of shares in the warehouse um, as a um, as a means to um, 
Um, oh, really? I guess I was right there. Yeah, yeah, that was I don't know, fifteen years ago. Yeah, um, I, I, I remember it coming and going, but I didn't know why. But that almost yeah, sounds like yeah. the same as covenants and and yeah. other things yeah. where it's yeah. anti-competitive. Part of the bag of dirty tricks. Yep. So you know the, the supermarkets can either um, take the medicine now and do it the easy way and um, be become a lot more uh, community focused in what they do, or they can um, dig in. Um, you know, exploit the next three years and then face the music big time in three years' time because uh, I'm sure that the next time around um, it won't be a set of soft options like they've had this time. Yeah. So, hey, just last question on all of this. What is the reported profit of the supermarket industry? Look, is that a public yeah, yeah, yeah. You need to look through the Commerce Commission uh, report for all that. Um, yeah. You know... There are lots of figures out there. I'm still not convinced that it's been definitively identified. Uh, the Commission has said it is uh, significantly higher than it would expect by international standards. Um, but, you know, it's not just profit. It's, you know, they can bury profit in all sorts of different ways um, and they can overpay people and so on and so forth. So the profit in itself is not necessarily the, the test. Um, you know, the, the big issue... Um, is whether consumers are being are being served by competition because free markets depend on competition and competition clearly in this industry is not working. There's a great uh, way to leave this conversation. I think that's beautifully summed up in terms of a tax-free market to drive competition and at the moment we don't have competition and it's seen in the pockets of the consumers and that's the real place that uh, we need to be measuring because every other measure can be um, creatively accounted for um, to, to make to look or be this or be that. But the ultimate is how much food are people getting for their dollar and are they comfortably living um, on a you know, comfortable spend? So, Ernie, thank you so much for your time. Um, I think this is the beginning of a series. We've got a few more people that we are talking to. Hopefully we're going to have, uh, get a date and get uh, Tex Edwards um, on as well. Uh, so we'll you know, like you to keep tuned in and um, potentially with David Tally and the invite's been sent out to Chris as well. So hopefully we get everybody on and, and get the story um, you know, from all different perspectives and angles because, as you say, there's, there's lots of different parts to us. And the more information we have about this, the more awareness, you talked about visibility, the more that people can understand and start to you know, really um, keep an eye on it because ultimately if the consumers, whether they're walking down the aisle and not aware of what they're spending or you know, at a... You know, bigger picture, aware that the um, prices uh, appear to be uh, quite high and across the board, and you know, there is a what did you say? There's a facade of competition with seven or eight brands, but behind it, there's only two suppliers. Um, then we need to really keep on top of this and make sure that we're getting a good bang for our buck or a good uh, tummy full of food for our dollar. So, once again, thank you very much for your time and your input, and um, uh, yeah, have a wonderful day. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ryan. Alrighty.